right, let's go ahead and find the book of Jonah. Jonah, that may, Joni. Jonah may be a big challenge for you. It is between Obadiah and Amos. In my Bible, it's on page 1134, okay? So dive in, see if you can find that. So excited about preaching about the, the book of Jonah. Because so often we just look at this as a, a nice little children's story. It's got vivid characters and a whale and swallowed. Or, or we look at it just like an adult fable, you know? It's really not serious. Probably the only time I've talked about Jonah, I used to tell this joke for years and years. Is there was a young girl who became a Christian. She was at a state university, and she went to this biology class where this professor was making fun of, of faith. And, and on this day, he, he began to make fun of the story of Jonah and the whale. And he said, that's just impossible. No way that could happen. She raises her hand. She says, sir, I don't know how it happened, but I believe it happened. He said, that's impossible. There's not a fish on the face of the earth with the esophagus big enough to swallow a man and him live. She raised her hand again. She says, sir, I don't know how it happened, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah about it. He quickly retorted, well, how about if Jonah's not there? She says, then you can ask him. <laughs> well, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to use that again after all these years. So, here's what I'm afraid of, guys. In the midst of our joking, in the midst of this children's story, we've missed the richness, the depth of this great book. So let's dive right in. Jonah chapter 1, let's read the first three verses to set this up. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, read these five words out loud with me, ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to, read these four words, flee from the Lord. Jonah is running. So let's get this big picture of Jonah. What's it about? First of all, you've got to see that this is a stunning request by God. This is the first time a prophet by God has ever been asked to go to anybody but the Israelites. And Jonah is offended by it. Why? Because even worse than that, he's being asked to go to the Assyrians. Because in today's world, we would quickly label Assyria as a terrorist state. Listen to a description of why they were so hated. Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, and so now we even have pictures of them. Assyria history is, quote-unquote, as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and just one arm leaving the other arm and hand so that they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so that they could be flayed alive and their skin displayed on city walls. That's why Jonah's so offended. People, if they knew the Assyrians were about to take over their city, would actually have mass suicide. And so it's just shocking. 
that God would ask that. But it also is a little bit shocking that Jonah is the prophet asked. You see, Jonah was unlike the prophet Hosea or Obadiah in that he agreed with King Jeroboam's aggressive military stance. You see, one reason I don't think that Jonah is a fable, because this is not the only place he shows up in Scripture. We know about him back in 2 Kings chapter 14. And he loves that Jeroboam is putting Israel first. And he doesn't mind who he harms. So more than likely, Jonah was a nationalist with great pride in his country and his race who couldn't believe that God could love anybody else. And so that is why he is running. You see, when God calls him to go to Nineveh, God has called him to go east, all right? Jonah heads west to Tarshish. Now, just, not just a little ways. Tarshish was 2,500 miles from where Jonah was. It, it's like he's saying, I got to get away from these folks. I'm going as far as I can away from what God is asking me to do. So Jonah is running from this. He's bought a one-way ticket to the end of the earth. Now, what, what's his deal here? Well, it doesn't really say in chapter 1, but if you look over just for a second with me, chapter 4, Jonah confesses why he ran. You see, when I read chapter 1, I think, well, Jonah, I know you hate the Syrians. Seems like to me, you'd be so happy to go condemn them. But listen to what Jonah says in chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said? Lord, when I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Listen to this. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You see, Jonah's problem is he knows the heart of God, and he's afraid that these people would actually be allowed by God to come to him. So, Jonah's third word in the big picture is just, he's judging. He does not believe there's room in God's plan for these people. What we would call this today prejudice. What does prejudice mean? It's a simple word. It simply means to prejudge. I judge someone by the externals. I might judge them by their skin color. I might judge them by their income. I might judge them by their body type. I might judge them if they're athletic or non-athletic. I could judge them on all kinds of things. And, and, and what, what prejudice simply means is I come to a conclusion about you without really knowing you. And that's exactly what Jonah is doing here. Because most of us need our eyes open to other people. Because we live in a culture where prejudging is the name of the game. I catch one whiff about you and I just attack you without really listening to your heart. You know, most of us, we've learned and been confronted by this when we've experienced prejudice, okay? Uh, I can remember years ago, Stephanie and I going to Connecticut where I was preaching. And, um, you know, we, we were having a good time and we were invited over to the preacher and his wife's house after the Sunday service. And, and we're just there and it becomes, you know, pretty obvious that they look at us as, you know, sort of slow Southerners. And, and finally, the preacher's wife says to Stephanie, she says, I know you Southern women. You wake up, you put your makeup on, you put a smile on and you do whatever your husband wants you to do. Well, 
I'm not going to tell you which of those three are true, okay? But, but it was just so, so prejudiced, and you think, you know what? Now I know a little bit of how it feels like when someone just prejudges you, not knowing you. And then I, I remember my roommate in college was an African-American guy. And I'd, I'd never really seen it up front until I knew there were places at the University of Alabama that Wiley was not welcome. I saw the looks on people's faces when he walked in and was not intimidated. I saw prejudice right up front, and it made me hate it because it hurts people. And guys, that's what Jonah is dealing with. But here's an even bigger issue. It's trusting. You see, Jonah faces a question. Jonah, are you going to trust yourself and your judgment and your preconceived ideas and your upbringing? Or will you trust God? You see, Jonah's issue is he doubted God's wisdom and justice. Quite frankly, Jonah thought God was too soft and that God might actually relent and not destroy these people. So the issue here is bigger than just prejudging. It's, do I trust God? Listen to what Tim Keller writes about this. While Jonah had faith in the Lord, it appears to have not been as deep and fundamental to his identity as his race and nationality. God, sometimes we can be more pro-American than we are pro-Christ. You see... That's not my fundamental identity. I I love America. I'm proud to be an American, but my fundamental identity is in Christ. And my fundamental identity is not on how I was raised to look at people. In fact, I, I think in my life, in my own life, in other people's lives, other Christians I know, I'm not talking about non Christians, the shallowness of our faith has been on great display when it comes especially to racism. Some of the best people, most spiritual, godly people I knew growing up would lose it when it came to race. Many of us experienced that. You know, the sad thing to me in looking back is, is where the Christian church should have led the civil rights movement in more than just the African-American churches. We were way behind, sometimes even pulling back, and I'm embarrassed by that. And I think it shows the superficial of our faith, that our belief in Jesus Christ has not gone deep enough into my souls. I mean, how in the world can you pay attention to Jesus and the way he treated people and the barriers he broke down and then say, I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and yet I'm going to prejudge people because of the color of their skin. It just hadn't gone deep enough. And that's the challenge of the book of Jonah, is for it to go deeper. So let's keep going. Let's watch this story. Go to verse 4, chapter 1 with me. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now watch this. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. We always go here. How in the world could he sleep like this in the middle of a storm? Guys, there is a... There's a deep sleep in the midst of sorrow and guilt. This is psychologically understandable. He knows he's running from God, and he feels it. And like you and I often, he'd just rather go to sleep than face it. 
The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. May he, maybe he will take notice of us and so that we will not perish. They, they wanted to call on as many gods as they could find. Then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. In, in our vernacular, one, one translation says, they drew straws and, Jesus, and, and Jonah excuse me, got the short straw. So they know he's guilty. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Who is your country? From what people are you talking about prejudice? He answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I wish we could find some dry land. That's my addition, okay? <laughs> Verse 10, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? Listen to this. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Jonah just can't hold it in. You know what's crazy about this? These are Gentiles just like the Assyrians that Jonah's actually talked to about God. He's doing the exact same thing he didn't want to do. So the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up and throw me in the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, these are good guys. The men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to Jonah's God, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. Have done as you please. So after their, their sweet prayer, they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And then here's the verse that's not on the screen, but the key verse, what you hear? Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. Guys, this, this story offers so many great insights to us about walking with God. Number one, God will ask you to do things you don't want to do. You see, we're okay with God until God's opinion is different than our opinion. You see, we're raised in a culture where we, you know, we sort of think we're right. I mean, even silly debates, okay? Do you, do you like chocolate or vanilla better? How many like chocolate better? Raise your hand. How many like vanilla better? Some of you raise your hand both times, okay? <laughs> You're both wrong. It's strawberry, you know what I'm saying? Guys, we, we, we think we're so opinionated and, and, and here, when, when we finally run up to this wall, where God, you know, we're, we're okay with God as long as he agrees with us. But when you get to that moment where God says, I want you to do this, and I don't want to do that, when my thoughts, my beliefs, my upbringing clashes with what God has said, I begin to have a problem. When God says, forgive that person who did you wrong, and I don't feel like it. Even when things are tight, give to the kingdom of God. When everybody around us, even some Christians, are not living up to the sexual ethics, the high standards in Scripture, I go, God, you just really must not know what you're talking about. When God calls you to a mission that you don't want to go on, to a place you don't want to go, that brings us to number two. You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Always a boat 
We always talk about how God gives you a way of escape. I'll tell you, Satan also gives you a way of escape to, to flee from the presence and command of God. You know, we, we've got a lot of young Christians around here right now. Boy, God's blessed us. And I try to warn every one of them, you've declared war on Satan. And he's going to attack you. And here's the number one attack of someone who's a young Christian trying to change their lifestyle. An old friend comes back in their life and says, let's just go do what we've always done. What's wrong with you? Have you changed? We've always gone out and partied like this. What's the deal? You've become sort of weird to me. It's either an old friend or an old thought system. Most of it's in our brain. We got some ruts built by thinking wrong. And often I was talking to someone this week that, you know, just her, her, her brain just fell in that rut because it was so deep. She'd been doing so good, but something happened that triggered it and just fell in that rut. We all know that feeling. And so Jonah is running. And you can deliberately run. You can go, God, I've, I've heard what you said, and I'm going this way. Or most of us probably don't deliberately run. We just drift. We just keep moving in the wrong direction. It's not deliberate. It's just because I've not made the choices to obey God. So you can always find that boat, guys. But here's here's the truth. God's not going to make you obey him. But here's the good news. God will pursue you. Look at number three. God may send a storm to get your attention. The the word there in, in the language is God hurled this storm at Jonah. Not because he didn't love Jonah, but because he did love Jonah. Storms get our attention. Because many of the storms in our life are our own doing. That's how Jonah's was. I mean, every, let me listen closely to what I'm about to say. Every sin creates a storm. But please understand this. Every storm is not caused by sin. For instance, if you, you know, are not taking care of your body and you, you go against all the things God's asked you to do, you don't treat your temple well, we can't be surprised when our health fails. When I'm not kind to the people I love, I can't be surprised when the relationships fail. When I give myself over to addictions to fill my life, I can't be surprised when those addictions really mess me up. But I heard a statistic the other night in Man Up, I think Trey Hayes shared this. We were talking about pornography. This, this, this statistic blows my mind. If, if a man regularly looks at pornography, a married man regularly looks at pornography, he's 318% more likely to cheat on his spouse. Because sin has a price. Now, some of these storms have nothing to do with our behavior. Some of these storms are actually sent by God. You say, man, why would God do that? I thought God loved me. Listen to me. God loves you so much that he's willing to make you uncomfortable for a little while so that you'll get on track with him. God God says, you know what? If if, if I've got to make your life even miserable right now so that you start following me, I'm willing to do that so this is temporary and I can get you to the eternal." Listen to this famous quote by C.S. Lewis. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
Now, some of you are going through a tough time right now. Some of you are going through storms. The question you need to be asking is, God, what are you trying to teach me? God allowed his apostles over and over on the Sea of Galilee to go through these crazy storms where they were scared to death. And Jesus was okay with them being freaked out so that they might see his power and his glory. It was okay for them to be scared so they could see that Jesus had the power to walk on water. It was okay for them to be afraid for a little bit so they would see God has the power to calm any storm in your life. My friends, God's pursuing you, and it may be through a storm. You see, what he wanted for those apostles was he wanted them to be humbled in the sight of God, and he wanted them to see who he was. Number four, Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. The, the, the passage actually says this. The Lord provided a big fish. Thank you very much, God. That's so sweet of you to provide a fish to swallow me. But God did. And God, I want you to understand this. The worst thing going on in your life can be the best thing going on in your life. It's so weird when you're preaching about something like this. Not weird, it's God, but I've talked to so many people this week that are going through rough times, and I've seen it humble them, and I've seen them more sensitive to God than ever, and I've been able to say with confidence because of this text, this may be the best thing to ever happen to you. If this leads you back to God in obedience to Him, thank God for this storm. Thank God for this fish. I I look back in my life, my insecurities as a teenager— made me absolutely dependent on God for my self-esteem. My struggles as an adult with depression made me much more compassionate to people who struggle in their brain. Most of us don't really change until we're broken. I love that new song we learned. There's beauty in my brokenness. And so I'm talking to some people today. The people beside you may not even know this, but you may be living in brokenness right now. And what I want to say to you is this might be the best thing to ever happen to you if you would humble yourself and turn yourself toward God. Stop running. You say, let's talk about some big issues here. Let me ask three questions. Are you running? Are you judging? Are you trusting You see, maybe you're running from God, not deliberately, but you've drifted further and further, and God's trying to interrupt it right now. Maybe you've been bad of prejudging people, and you know that's so far from who God wants you to be, but you struggle with it. I think we all do. Or maybe the big issue is, do we really trust the heart of God? I love those questions. I want you to think about them for a moment, okay? Now, I want to take a break just for a second. I think this ties, but we need to take a break and have a a little family talk, okay? And um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about about the last two weeks. And and most of you know, you know that two weeks ago, we brought up the idea of starting an instrumental service to reach some people that we're not reaching for God. And I want to say I'm so proud of this church because I've heard more conversations more people diving into the Bible. You don't come from our background. You may not understand what we're talking about here. More people saying, we've got to discuss this. And, and I guess what, what's happened to me is, and I've struggled. I've been, I've been up and down with it. But I really have landed that God can use this. Now, I believe Satan could too. But God could use this for bigger issues than the issue we're talking about. 
Now, let me just say a few, a few things that I think need to be said to all of us. Guys, there's got to be respect shown on both sides of this equation. There are people that legitimately believe differently because of what they've studied. And it was a little offensive two weeks ago, and I've, I've done the same thing, so I can't be mad about it. When, when some of you laughed when we just brought up the topic of musical instruments. Like, can you believe anybody still believes that? And on the other hand, you know, it, it's offensive when people go, well, they just don't care about the Bible or they wouldn't even think about this. A couple other things. I've heard this one over and over. This is simply about the Church of the Highlands. My friend, let me make this very clear. We're not here to compete and we're not here to imitate. What we would do would look completely different than what they do. This is not about the Church of the Highlands. This is about Landmark and the people we would like to reach and the people we would like to keep. I've heard this one. This one sort of tickled me. Buddies, push the elders into this thing. Guys, I may be stupid, but I'm not a fool. I I would not dare stand up here and say the things I've said the last few weeks if we weren't all together. I'm not willing to walk off that plank by myself. Now, this week I I heard another rumor is that the elders pushed Buddy into this. (laughs) I sort of appreciated that one. Guys, guys, please understand this. To, To throw something out that could be this disruptive, there was a lot of prayer. Most of us have studied this issue for decades. And there was a lot of research about what works and what doesn't work. I can't promise you anything, but I can tell you this. There's not an inch between your minister and your elders. I've heard people say, we all just want to reject our heritage and churches of Christ. My friends, I don't reject it because it's what changed my life. But I do want to reclaim the best of our heritage. And our, our movement has always carried a tension in it between one, one end that we are a Bible-based movement to say, whatever comes up, we go back and we can question. There's nothing beyond us going, we've got to look back at the Bible. And that's a great part of, of our heritage. I love that. And the other part of our heritage that we almost lost is we're, all, we're also a unity movement. We're a movement that said, you can come together under the lordship of Jesus and you don't have to agree on everything. I have no desire to reject our heritage. I just want to embrace the best of it. Let let me just say this. I I really can understand you disagreeing on where I am or where our elders are. I'm okay with that. The only thing I want to warn all of us on both sides is is we got to be careful that we don't repeat the sin of Jonah and prejudge people on either side. Because I want to tell you, None of us here wants to upset anybody. None of us here wants to upset your parents. None of us wants to upset the people that you work with or your friends. None of us feel like we got to have this. So at least give your leadership this credit. The only reason we would seek to do this is because of our mission. I mean, look at it, Claude. Why in the world would you do this unless you thought that this could help the mission? So, guys, please think about those things. I also want to clear the air about my bad, okay? Two weeks ago when I preached on this, 
I, I was given some illustrations of how you handle this tension between progressivism and traditionalism. And I could defend myself because if you'd go back and listen closely, I said, this is only Buddy's opinion. This is not, but, but again, I made a bad mistake of bringing up women's role in the middle of this. Because some of you have thought this was agenda that Buddy's trying to push. Far from my mind. I was just trying to explain that these are difficult things to grapple with. That was not the emphasis I meant to share at all. So please, please understand this. Let me, let me just say this, guys. Actually, like I said a moment ago, I, I'm pretty excited about this. I think this is a great opportunity. I think this is a great opportunity for us to mature around bigger issues. I think it's a great opportunity for us to love each other even when we don't agree. I think it's a great opportunity for us to mature in how do you handle differences and conflicts. I think this is a great opportunity to say, you know what? I may not agree with everybody, but I know the mission is first. It's a great opportunity for us to say, I'm willing to bend over backwards to reach people that are different than I am. That's the lesson of Jonah. But let me say this clearly. You don't have to agree with the statement I'm about to make. I truly believe God's not so interested in whether we're a cappella or instrumental. But I absolutely know that God is interested in us loving each other. That's bigger than anything we've talked about. And my friends, that's the greatest opportunity for us to do is to love each other. So I hope you take that well, because I cannot tell you how much I love this church and how much I love the individuals in this church. You guys are the greatest people I know. And I love that we get to be in this together. And I think God can use this. Well, let's go back to our story one more time. I just want to close out before we sing together with, with this question. Are you running from God or are you running to God? You see, when you read the book of Jonah, th- there's this warning from Jonah's life is you're, you're crazy to run from God. You can't get away from the presence of God. You never get away from the presence of God. There's a warning in Jonah's life. But when it comes to God, there's a wow factor in this story. And the wow factor is for Jonah and for us. God is more compassionate. God is more graceful. God is more loving than we ever dreamed. And so this morning, as we're about to sing, if you've been somehow running away from God. God has told you to do something. There are big issues in our life. God has said, you need to stop this, you need to do this, and you've just not paid attention. Or you've deliberately run in the wrong direction. Man, today's the day where you ought to run to God. Because if you'll see the God that Jonah encountered, the God that Jesus perfectly displayed you will know that he's never a God to run from. He's always a God to run to. And so today, if you're ready to follow Jesus, if today you had been following Jesus, but somehow you got pointed in the wrong direction, and the person beside you may not even know that you're not right, but you want to be right. Run. Run to God right now while he stands.